Well, good morning. How y'all doing? Great. It's good to see you all. Good to see uh, family that is here uh, for the baptismal service. And um, I'm excited to have a actual baptismal service proper here. We have seven people that are being baptized today. And uh, so we've shortened up the sermon. Johnny's preaching anyway, so we just shorten it up. It doesn't really matter. And um, now we're shortened up the sermon. going to be a baptism sermon. Johnny's going to uh, carry us on in our uh, sermon series, but kind of focusing it on baptism. And uh, we've got our seven folks here that are going to be baptized today. I want to start us off by reading from Romans chapter 6, probably the, one of the most important passages uh, related to baptism uh, in the New Testament. But the Apostle Paul says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And baptism is this great reminder that has been given by God to the church to help us understand what it means when we say that we belong to Jesus. Perhaps even better stated, it helps us remember what God means when he says that we belong to Jesus. It means that everything that God has done for Jesus and raising him from the dead, God is going to do for us as well. And so baptism is a picture of the believer's future resurrection on that great day when Christ comes again to raise the dead. But it's also a reminder that even now we are participating in that resurrection power through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So as these uh, seven Nadir folks come down to profess their faith and to publicly acknowledge uh, that they belong to Jesus and that we as a congregation, as a church, baptize them into the name of Christ, uh, stating that, that by God they do belong to him. This is a great day of celebration. And uh, it is in many ways, it's like uh, what we think of when we think of a wedding, right? A wedding is a celebration of a commitment that exists between two people. This is a, this is, baptism is a, is a celebration of the commitment that exists between God and his people in Christ. So I want to welcome down uh, here into the tank with me, Dan Speziak. So Dan, you come on down. We're going to try to stay socially distanced here if we can figure this out. So I'm going to move this mic a little like this. Good morning, Calvary family. This is a wonderful family time together. And I want to say that I am here today because he who began a good work in me is still working to bring it to completion. That's so a little bit of my story. My parents uh, raised me in the Catholic faith and they followed the teachings of the church and in infant baptism because that was an expression of their love and protection for me. And I obviously can't remember any of that, but I know it was really important because my mom saved my uh, christening gown for 50 years. Our home uh, was one of much love and high expectations, taking responsibility and working towards uh, independence uh, someday. And I, I learned about God, but uh, my takeaway from my early years was that he was more like uh, the principal in the school of life. Uh, remotely uh, administering the rules, and he wasn't interested in me as an individual. 
in my college years, I, I moved out and I moved on my own thinking I could do it all. I worked hard and I experimented with some 70s stuff. If you're older, you know what that means. <laughs> I rebelled against some rules and I was a self-righteous and judgmental person to others. I always thought I knew better and I would always ask, but why? So uh, I started to experience real life. I had some failures academically uh, with money, with relationships, uh, typical real life stuff. In my junior year, I was studying engineering and uh, philosophy. I took philosophy and uh, I was seeking truth uh, in that uh, class uh, as to the meaning of life and how to face problems and I struggled against the idea that uh, life is ultimately meaningless as some philosophers said and instead I identified with Kierkegaard, a Christian philosopher who said and taught that life is not a problem to be solved, the engineer in me, but a reality to be experienced. Or put another way, the Christian life is not just a doctrine to be learned, but rather a relationship with Jesus to be lived. And God is real to us, and he wants to know us. So uh, one night after a party, I went on a walk, and I sat on a hill, and I looked up at the stars, and I, I spoke to God and said, Lord, how amongst the gazillion people on this planet could you possibly know me? And with all the failings I have and, 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 and problems, how could you love me? But he, uh, from the Gospel of John that I had been studying, reassured me and said, yes, I do. I love you. I know you. I ended up writing a paper on existentialism and the existence of God. You can uh, kind of look that stuff up. Uh, and slowly I began to turn around and repent and, uh, and look at what God wanted me to do. I prayed the prayer and Christ came into my life to save me. After graduation, as I was seeking God's direction in my life, he moved me to Chicago, to the holy city of Wheaton. Where else could I be the best trained in this area? <laughs> and at that time, uh, I, I visited churches, I joined a Bible study, I got involved in discipleship, I met Sandy at Wheaton Bible, we got married, and then moved to Oak Park, and came here to Calvary uh, 37 years ago or whatever, and I've been here ever since. Another crisis came to my life later on when uh, Sandy got breast cancer. And after about six years of going through those trials and, and uh, treatments and things, she died at home. And oh, that was a time when the church was really there for me, supporting me, encouraging me, praying for me, coming around me. I had not experienced such love. On the other hand, I, I remember a couple months later, after I took the kids back to school and my friends' lives got busy again and, and things uh, kind of got back to routine and I, I was rushing through chores in the morning and I was cleaning the cat box, feeling like I couldn't uh, really continue with a lot of what I was trying to do. And grief, as it often does, came over me like a wave and I was just sitting on the floor crying and God comforted me and said, Dan, just breathe and B. So as a control freak, engineer, people pleaser type A, you know, that's not easy for me. I always want to do things, not just B. But the Lord is always teaching me. He has certainly blessed me richly over the years with good Bible teaching, fellowship, and a family of God love here, and I've grown and served gladly. And as you know, then the Lord blessed me again, and I married Beth in 2010, and we're working together as life partners and ministry partners. So I want to testify today that I have repeatedly have to learn to let go and let God. And I'm trying to walk in the reality that he is God and I am not. He is patient, he's full of grace, and he's the one I completely depend on and put my hope in. 
Our journey of faith has many seasons, and, and God wants us to talk through with him, pray to him all honestly about those seasons, about those issues. Recently, I felt prompted to be baptized publicly as another step of faith and obedience, opening every closet of the house of my life to Jesus. So I take this step today in the company of my friends and my family as a testimony to God's faithfulness, grace, and love for each of us. I choose Christ as my hope and deliverance now and forever. Amen. There's less of you out there, so you gotta cheer extra loud for these, right? That's good. There we go. Dan, do you believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? Yes, I do. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord? Yes, I do. And do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the maker and giver of life? I do. And are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? I am. And based upon your profession of faith, it is my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. taking a little extra time getting people in and out of the tank, but uh, coming in now joining us is Colby McGee. So let's welcome Colby. Do you like to need this here? Or you're, no. I'll you're told. You're good. Yeah. Okay. Take it away. Um, I want to get baptized because I want to develop a stronger relationship with God. And I also want to, oh, sorry. And I also want to surrender to my Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't want to walk in the path of sin, and I want to turn to him. I started coming to Jesus two years ago when I started coming to youth group. I didn't want to go at first because I thought it was going to be boring, but then I started learning more about him. And all the things he's done makes me think that he is the Lord. Nigel talked about identity markers this year. He taught me about the right things I can do to be in the path to Jesus. I think God wanted all this to happen for me, and I think he set this all up for me to have a better relationship with him. I feel like being baptized can help me see my future as a follower of Christ. I told my father I want to be a missionary for a few months and spread the gospel to people who are lost. I don't want to see people in dark, despair places of sin, but instead I'd rather see them in happiness and light of God. In John 4:48, the Bible says, unless you, see, unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. This verse is important to me because it refers to having faith. It reminds me that if I don't see signs or wonders of God, I will never have faith. Reminds me that if I don't take a moment to myself to observe the beautiful world that God has created for me, I will never consider Jesus my Lord and Savior. Thank you. All right. Colby, do you believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth? Yes. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord? Yes. And do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the Maker and Giver of life? Yes. 
And are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? Yes. Well, then based upon your profession of faith, it is my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Joining us uh, in just a moment, it's going to be another young person, Ainsley Brandt. And so when she comes out, we'll welcome her in just a moment. Let's welcome Ainsley. into my heart. I was five years old. The Sunday school teachers taught me all about it. They told me how when you welcome Jesus into your heart, then Jesus will save you from your sins and will one day bring you to heaven. I didn't fully understand it, but a couple years later, it made more sense, but it just didn't feel like the right time yet. So I waited, and the next year, there was a day that I felt ready to do it. I was at home, and I just welcomed Jesus into my heart. I prayed and asked, and asked him to be my savior and forgive me of my sins. The next day, I was surprisingly happy on the way to school. I was smiling and laughing, but I didn't know why. The only thing that would be going on at school was tests and worksheets. Then I realized that it wasn't anything that would be going on at school or when I got home. So what was making me feel so happy? It was Jesus. Then I knew that Jesus is going to love me and take care of me forever. And that even though I will never know what the future will be, Jesus does and he has a plan. He always will and that's why I want to be baptized because Jesus wants me to be baptized. Jesus can give us joy even in tests and worksheets. I mean, it's fantastic. Ainsley, do you believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth? Yes. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord? Yes. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the Maker and Giver of life? Yes. And are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? Yes. And it is my privilege to baptize you based upon your profession of faith in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.
Up next here is Layla Vasquez. So Layla, welcome. We're Layla, tell us how you came to know the Lord. Why don't you read your testimony for us? Okay. Hello. My name is Layla Vasquez. I'm here today because I want to share a little bit of my testimony and why I decided to get baptized. I was raised in a Christian home my whole life. Many of you know my family here. And in fact, I am blessed to be getting baptized today with my little cousin, Kaylee Soto. However, being raised in a Christian home has its challenges for me growing up. One of my biggest challenges as a kid was that I struggled with social anxiety. I had a hard time making friends at church or at school because of my shyness. It was especially hard as I often felt alone or excluded. Because of this, my parents decided to help me by taking me to therapy. I finally started to open up around the fifth grade and I finally experienced what it was to have friends. It was a very exciting and new feeling for me. As I started to get to know my friends more, I realized how different my lives, my friends' lives were in comparison to how my parents raised me. So in order not to appear different or lose those friendships, it was hard for me to be open about my faith and who I was in Christ. I was scared of losing their friendships, and I'll admit that at times, I still struggle with it. It was in the seventh grade when I became consumed with trying to fit in, and as a result, I started to act out of character. Instead of showing others my Christianity, I behaved in a way that I'm not very proud of. I just wanted to be part of the end crowd. I wanted the approval of my friends. I was allowing myself to be influenced by certain things, but I thanked the Lord for my mom because she was always there for me and noticed that I wasn't the same. God's timing is always perfect, and it says in Hebrews 12:6, the Lord disciplines everyone he loves. He punishes everyone he accepts as a child. And that's what my mom did with me. I'm glad she did, because I was able to reflect on everything that wasn't pleasing to God, my family, and myself. So after seventh grade, I cut back on communication and associating with those friends that were a bad influence because I didn't want to be part of that anymore. I didn't want to turn my back on. I didn't want to turn my back on my faith. I don't want to turn my back on God. He has done so. He has done so many good things for me and has also been with me through the tough times in my illnesses. But that's another testimony for another day. I want to show my love to my and faithfulness to the Lord by getting baptized today. I've always felt his presence in me, and especially in the hard times, I will always look to him. I want to daily be transformed in his spirit as my old self dies and I become a new person in Jesus. Thank you. Amen. Layla, do you believe in God, the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth? Yes. And do you believe in Jesus Christ, our only Son, his only Son, our Lord? Yes. And do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the maker and giver of life? Yes. And are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? Yes. And based upon your profession of faith, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
All right, Layla mentioned she had a cousin, and here comes that cousin. So, Kaylee, come on down. All right, we got Kaylee. Hi. You want to read your testimony for us? Hi, everyone. My name is Kaylee Soto. The reason why I'm getting baptized is because God revealed himself to me through the gospel. When I was four or five, I was losing my faith. I was thinking, is God real? But God gave me more faith to believe. It happened this year when my family and I were watching the movie The Pilgrim's Progress. Like Pilgrim, I also felt like I had a burden, my sin. But then I realized that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again to, gave me new, to give me new life. When I believed that, I felt like my burden fell off and God showed himself to me. Before COVID hit, I wanted to be a part of the family of God. So I told my family, I want to be baptized. Then COVID hit. I was sad because I really wanted to be baptized. Then while watching the live stream, I heard there was going to be baptisms. I was really happy again. I told my family I wanted to be baptized. So my dad signed me up for baptism. When he told me, I was really, really happy. I know what baptism means. It means I am dying with Christ and resurrecting with Christ. All I want to be is a child of God. My sins are bad, and I understand them. But my sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ, my Lord. My sins were forgiven before I have even done them when Jesus died for me. Now I turn away from sins and Satan and turn to Jesus. He made us for a reason, and that is to be followers of God and tell people about him. I want to be an author when I grow up, and I want to do it for Jesus' name. I would write about the death of Jesus and the resurrection. God blessed me to have parents who believe in him so I can too. We are blessed to be followers of Jesus. We are blessed to have Bibles. We are blessed to be Christians. Amen. So Kaylee, do you believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? Yes. And do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord? Yes. And do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the maker and giver of life? Yes. And are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? Yes. And based upon your profession of faith, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We've got a couple more coming in. It's just wonderful to hear uh, these testimonies, especially from uh, such a young person with such an old soul. When she was four or five, she was losing her faith. And uh, tell you what, most of us haven't found faith by the time we're four or five. But I love, too, how she said that my sins, she said, my sins were bad, but I've been forgiven. But God's grace is greater. And that is the truth of baptism, isn't it? That we come into the tank, as it were, metaphorically, with sins that are bad, but God's grace is greater. So coming now down in the tank is Greg Bowman. So let's welcome Greg.
Greg, tell us how you came to know the Lord and why you want to be baptized. Good morning, church family. My uh, faith journey uh, begins as a young child of when my parents would send me to Child Evangelism uh, Good News Camp every summer. And supposedly during one of those weeks of camp, I made a childlike step of faith um, towards a relationship with Jesus Christ. And being the awesome and godly parents uh, that I had, they immediately made arrangements in our family Mennonite church uh, to be baptized, and I was baptized by sprinkling. Uh, but I can vividly remember that moment as I, I look back that I didn't take it seriously, uh, nor did I really understand the implications of it. And so I, I recognized my conversion experience to really be at the age of 12, when after a week-long crusade at our family church, uh, alone in my bedroom, I knelt down by my bed. I recognized my own sin. I confessed my sins. And I accepted Jesus Christ to be my savior. So from then on, I was your typical model uh, Christian kid through junior high and high school and a graduate of Moody Bible Institute. And, um, you know, I've been growing in my faith uh, since then, um, but never really considered baptism until, as silly as it sounds, about 10 years ago when God started prompting me and convicting me that I should uh, follow in obedience of being baptized um, since I had made a conversion after my original sprinkling at the Mennonite church. So every time it, it came time to sign up for baptism, I resisted and I fought and I asked questions of, you know, uh, what would everyone think since I've been so far along in my Christian faith and does it really matter um, since I'm so long further, far along in my Christian faith. And it was a major battle that I fought for so many years. Uh, after Pastor Gerald's sermon on baptism, and luckily with the accountability and the challenges from my small group friends, I've come to the point where that battle is over. I'm not fighting that battle anymore. And I want to show that I'm completely obedient in every area of my life. So today, I end that battle. And in front of my church family, in front of my small group friends, I'm sure that every area of my life, I'm going to be completely obedient to God and be recognized as a... Uh, a child of his and somebody who wants to be committed and live every area of my life for him. It's good to, good to not fight, isn't it? <laughs> it definitely is. <laughs> Greg, do you believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? Yes, I do. And do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord? Yes, definitely do. And do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the maker and giver of life? Yes, I do. And are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? Wholeheartedly. And based upon your profession of faith, it is my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Please do.
Now we can welcome down into the tank Greg's daughter, Kylie. So this is Kylie Bodeman. Come on in, Kylie. Kylie, tell us how you came to know the Lord and why you want to be baptized today. So I grew up in a very godly home. I was involved in Awana in Sunday school and accepted Christ at the age of six while studying a Bible verse with my mom. When I was in middle school, I was diagnosed with a learning disability, and that was the start of what was going to be a pretty concerning future. I was getting in trouble a lot at school, and that eventually followed me through, in through high school. I got involved with a pretty toxic boyfriend and the wrong crowd of friends, and that was leading me down a really dark and harmful path. I got really out of touch with my faith, who I was, and the morals that I held myself to. I was hurting the people that loved and cared about me the most without even realizing the damage that I was doing. Those were the darkest years of my life, but eventually I graduated high school and started playing soccer at Trinity International University. My coaches, teammates, families, and friends were and still are some of the most influential, supportive, and loving people I've ever met. They prayed over me, held me accountable, and showed me an enormous amount of patience and grace. I remember one specific night, I was up almost all night with my sister and one of our close friends, and that was the night that I rededicated my life to Christ. I really understood the significance of surrendering myself to Christ and no longer living for my own worldly desires. I understood that I could never be too far from God and that this whole time he has just been protecting me and waiting with open arms. I have not been perfect since that day, but I'm getting baptized today as a sign of obedience and publicly sharing that I'm living a life for Christ and that my sins are washed away through him. Kylie, do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? Yes, I do. And do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord? Yes, I do. And do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the maker and giver of life? Yes, I do. And are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? Yes, I am. That based upon your, your profession of faith, it is my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Please stand for the reading of God's word. We're reading from Lamentations chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become, she who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations, but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate. Her priests groan. Her virgins have been afflicted, and she herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head. Her enemies prosper because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her 
Her children have gone away, captives before the foe. From the daughter of Zion, all her majesty has departed. Her princes have become like deer that find no pasture. They fled without strength before the pursuer. Jerusalem remembers in the day of her affliction and wandering all the precious things that were hers from days of old. When her people fell into the hand of the foe and there was no one to help her, her foes gloated over her. They mocked at her downfall. Jerusalem sinned grievously. Therefore, she became filthy. All who honored her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Good morning, Calvary. We are currently in a sermon series, The Story of the Bible and the Healing of the World. We have, I think at this point, are able to say we've covered, covered quite a bit of ground. Um, we got off to maybe a little bit of a slow start in creation, but uh, it is so important in those opening uh, chapters of the book of the Bible to really understand how foundational they are to the rest of the story of Scripture. And so while we may have got off to a little bit of a slow start uh, in our first theme, Creation, uh, we, I feel like, have come a long way since then. I uh, want to just do a little bit quick review of where we have been and where we're going now, because we're starting a new series, uh, or a new section of our series, I should say, um, Captivity. And so we started with creation, uh, the story of the Bible and the healing of the world. The one true living creator God uh, made a world, and this world, he said, was very good. Human beings, part of, who are part of God's good creation, were tempted in the story, in the very beginning chapters, to take the world into their own hands. They succumbed to the temptation. And God warned them before that death would be the inevitable outcome if they tried to take things into their own hands. Nevertheless, they again succumbed to the temptation, Adam and Eve. And so God removed Adam and Eve from the garden that he made for them in Eden. Life outside the garden in Eden was full of evil. And so begins the human story of longing to return home of being sent in exile. This theme of captivity and exile that we're picking up that happened to Israel actually is a theme that goes to the very beginning chapters of the Bible. And as I said earlier, it's so important to understand those first couple chapters because they shape so much going forward. Adam and Eve are removed from the garden that was in Eden that God had made for them and life after that is a perpetual state of longing to return home. 
This longing to return home is something that is in all of us. Home is supposed to be a place of safety, a place of identity, a place of belonging, a place of being provided for. And Adam and Eve became an example for us of this longing for home, being outside of the boundaries of home and feeling vulnerable. This brings us to the next section after creation, finding out that God doesn't give up, though, on his good world. Even though Adam and Eve sinned and death came into the world and the downward spiral of humanity after that, God still does not give up on his good world. He recruits a family in Genesis 12, a family by which he would bless and restore the entire world. That was the goal and the focus of Abraham's family, to be a blessing to the rest of the families of the world. And so we had, after the creation section, we had the patriarchs chapter, which we, again, talked about Abraham and his story, and uh, Isaac and Jacob. In the patriarchs section, and chapter, we see that God is building this family because, again, this is the family through which God is going to restore the world. And then we see that they go into exile again into, uh, into Egypt, and God brings them out of Egypt uh, and wants to bring them to a land, a new home for them. And on the way to the new home, he gives them the law. That was our third chapter. We had creation and patriarchs and law. The law was all about how to live life well with God. God was going to localize himself with this family, provide his presence to this family so that they would fulfill their mission. But we see after they get into their new home, the promised land, that even, and even though they have the, the instruction, the law, we see in the third chapter we had judges that everyone was still doing right in their own eye. What was right in their own eyes. They wanted to take the world into their own hands. But God in his faithfulness continues to provide for Israel and gives them a king that builds a kingdom. And under David and Solomon, you have a, a period of history of Israel of a very strong presence and feeling that God is providing and blessing. But it wasn't too long after David and Solomon that the kingdom split. It split into the northern kingdom, which we often refer to as Israel, and the southern kingdom, which we often refer to as Judah. That was the chapter that we just finished, the kings. And now we're into our next chapter in the story of the Bible and the healing of the world, and that is captivity or exile. Israel goes into exile. If you can imagine with me for a moment, though, this reality of exile for Israel, in many ways, the, the people of Israel must have felt they were so close to God fulfilling his promises to use them to restore the entire world. They're, they had a kingdom and a king. They had land. Abraham's family was extensive and vast. And most of all, they had a temple a permanent place for God to localize himself among them. They had a building created just for God's presence. And this 
No surprise at all, this building, this temple, sounds just like the Garden of Eden in its description. A place for God to dwell and be at home with his people. And so you could imagine Israel felt like coming home, finally, ultimately, was not too far away. And yet, exile is the next movement. Instead of the final reality of being home, secure once and for all, it's the exact opposite. They are ripped out of their home in tragic ways. The reality of exile for Israel was more than just a restart. It caused Israel to question whether or not God had finally given up on them. And if God had given up on them, would that mean that he'd given up on his plan to restore the entire creation and bless all the families of the earth also? The book of Lamentations, which is written in the midst of this exile, Israel in exile, ends with this. The book of Lamentation ends with, Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. Period. The end. And Israel finds themselves in exile. The book of Lamentation gives a vivid description of what life was like during exile for God's people. We come across Jeremiah, who was a priest from a priestly line that was asked to take up actually the vocation of a prophet instead of a priest. And Jeremiah was asked to warn Israel of the coming exile because of their deep-rooted sin that was existing. In Jeremiah uh, chapter 7, we see this temple sermon that Jeremiah gives on why Israel was going to go into exile. And he warned them of two main issues. There's a number of issues uh, that we see with Israel, but two main ones. One of the main ones was that they worshipped other gods. And the imagery used throughout Jeremiah to explain this worshipping other gods was like adultery or it was like prostitution. The other thing is that the leadership of Israel, the ones who you should trust the most, did not execute justice with those in the community. They oppressed the sojourner, the immigrant. They oppressed the fatherless and the widow. And because of these sins, Israel was going to have to leave their home and their land and go into exile. While there was perceived success and blessing in the kingdoms of Israel and Judah, their deep-rooted rebellion and failure to keep the terms of the covenant did not go unnoticed by God. And so the great Babylonian empire under the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar came in and totally sacked Jerusalem and took many away. And Jeremiah lived through this. But what's hopeful about this is intertwined with the warning of exile throughout Jeremiah and the description of what exile will look like. Jeremiah also gives Israel a message of hope. Israel's sin is not the final word. Instead, God's faithfulness is going to be the final word. Jeremiah records a few promises, important and crucial promises by God in chapters 31 and 33. God promises to Judah 
that he will renew the covenant that they broke, bring a new covenant, and bring a new king into Israel, a king that won't fail to execute justice and righteousness, but will appropriately execute justice and righteousness, as we see in Jeremiah 33. This king, ultimately, we know is King Jesus. And all that follow this Jewish Messiah, Jesus, they will be given this new heart and welcomed into the covenant people of God and ultimately brought to the final rest, the final home, the new creation. And yet, what is the responsibility of people in exile? What, what do we do? Do we sit and fold our arms? I mean, exile is a horrible place to be. Do we fight back? What is the call in exile? It's really interesting and almost alarming when we look in Jeremiah 29, when Jeremiah gives instruction to Israel. He says this, build homes, plant gardens, eat the produce from the gardens, build families, and seek the welfare of the city. What? The city that just ransacked them, they're now supposed to invest in that city? And Jeremiah says... Your flourishing is wrapped up into the flourishing of the city. So seek the best of the city. Build homes and gardens and families. What's interesting, though, in connection to us today, is the Apostle Peter actually gives us this same identity as exiles. To a mixed audience, Peter says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a list of things. And he says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. And to a post-resurrection of Jesus community, he takes up this old identity that Adam and Eve had after the Garden of Eden, that Israel had in Egypt, that Israel had in Babylon, that we also, in this story that God is developing and creating, are also exiles. Do we feel that? Do we feel like we are exiles in this world? In some way, we are still to identify as exiles. Why? The final return to home is described in Revelation 21, our final home. John, when John sees the vision of Jesus returning with a new heaven and a new earth, the completely new creation, that is our final, capital H, home where we'll have rest and be with Jesus. He will be our God, and we will be his people. Until then, we are to identify as in exile, as Israel was and as Adam and Eve were. There's one beautiful reality about this exilic identity, and then two temptations that come with it. The beauty of it is that it is a common identity. It is an identity for us to unify around. Our church has the beautiful reality of people who are born from all over the world, all the corners of the earth. We have people in our congregation where Calvary is their family and their home. And so we could have reason to feel very different and disconnected. And yet because we all are longing for the same final home, and because of that are all united in exile, we have a common, beautiful identity together in that. That's a beautiful reality of the church, is that we have this common identity. That is our core identity. But two questions or, or temptations come with it. 
if this creation is not our final home, but the new creation is our final home, should we just wipe our hands clean of all the problems of this world? No. Jeremiah says in chapter 29 that Israel was supposed to seek the welfare of the city and to be invested in the city and to care for it. And so are we today. We don't have the freedom as people in exile to just wait and put our feet up. We are supposed to care about the hurts and the pains and the injustices and, and be excited about the opportunity of growth and advancement in our communities. So we can be tempted to think that it's not our final destination and so we don't care. No. We are supposed to be God's body in this world, Jesus' body in this world. The second thing, the other temptation, is that we could actually become so invested in the welfare of the city that we forget this isn't our final destination. There are so many things about this present world that are right. It's physical. We can taste and see and smell and hear just like we were created to. But this isn't our final destination. And we can become so invested in it that our deepest emotions and longings are in this destination, not our true destination, our true home. The author of Hebrews describes Peter as, or excuse me, as uh, Abraham as looking forward to another city. Is that what we are looking forward to, longing for that final destination? So we have to ask ourselves, are we so wrapped up in the present system and politics of our current destination that we're losing the longing for King Jesus? We have to somehow keep these two things in tension. That we have a true core unified identity in the new creation and yet still seek the welfare of the present creation. The last thing I want to add is what does this all have to do with baptism? <laughs> What's exciting to me is that baptism, all the baptisms that you all have seen this morning, I wish I could be there for it. The beauty of all the baptisms you've seen, each and every baptism, into the water and out, is a reminder to us, a perpetual reminder to us, that with death comes resurrection. When a seed goes into the ground, Plants and life are the result. Baptism is the sign that while we are in exile, home is coming. Our final destination is sure. Because what happens to Jesus will happen to us. Even though we are in exile, baptism is a proclamation to us perpetually that exile is not our final identity, but that the new creation is coming, and Jesus promises to bring it all. Praise God. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you for all that you have accomplished for us. And while exile can feel very dark and confusing, we have hope that you are making all things new. May we persevere in our faith to you to the end. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.